You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are really glad that you're here with us. It's great to see all of you smiling. And uh, I'm still getting used to that. So I love it. Thank you. And so, all right. We're going back a while here. This is about 15 years ago. My wife was seven months pregnant. And we decided one evening that we were going to go for a walk. So we're in, we go outside of our development. And we were going to kind of do this kind of wide few blocks away. So we're probably about two miles from our house. When my wife starts feeling dizzy and nauseous and we stop and she's like, boy, I don't feel well. And I said, okay, what do you want me to do? And she's like, well, let me, let me sit. So she sits down on the sidewalk and she says, listen, could you go and get the car and pick me up? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Now we're about two miles away from my house. So I said, look, just sit here and then I'm going to go home. So I run as fast as I possibly can for, uh, back to our house so that I can pick her up. So I get probably about a mile. Then I start feeling dizzy and nauseous. And uh, I finally get to my development. I'm like, okay, I'm getting close. And I mean, I nearly threw up. I was running so hard. But I'm like, she's waiting for me. She doesn't feel well. So I finally get home. I hop in my car. I get out of the driveway, I get to the very entrance of my development, and I see my wife standing there. And, and I'm like, what are you doing here? And she says, well, when you left, I started feeling better. So I started walking back, which then led to a different question. And that is, how slow do I run that a walking pregnant woman that doesn't feel well almost caught up to me and I mean, that, that, that's still, still something I'm thinking about, but I don't know if you've ever, you've ever been in a race and, and in a race where, you know, you, you didn't, you didn't want to stop running, but it was painful to keep going and, and pressing on. Uh, I, I ran my, I'm not a runner by any means, but I, I ran a 5k a few years ago, just so I can say I did one and it was horrible. And in fact, it was so bad, I signed up for another one because I said, it can't be as bad as I experienced it. And it was. Uh, it really was. And, and, you know, and the thing about these races is you can tell who trained for the race and, like, did some running beforehand and those who didn't. And so the first race that I ran, and this is, you know, this is all new to me, but, you know, there's all these, like, masses of people huddled right at the starting line, right? And then everybody's trying to get started. And so I was kind of towards the back and I've done other 5Ks where they have everyone corralled in different groups based on what your experience is and running and all that. Well, this one was just kind of a mass of people. And so I'm kind of towards the back and the race starts and everybody's excited and running. And there's this one lady and I don't, I don't want to be rude, in, based on observation alone, she didn't look like a runner. I will say that, and that's all. So, but she, she starts running. We all start, I'm running right behind her. And, uh, and, and we, we don't get more than 100 feet. And she says, ay, Dios mío, no puedo. 
If I could translate very quickly, dear Lord, I can't. And, uh, and I'm thinking, we have run 100 feet. Like, this is like from your car to the entrance of Publix. Like, you've done this before. Anyway, she almost beat me. But I turned on the afterburners at the end, and I, I beat it out. And that's how I measure my runs now. It's like, can I beat the elderly, the sick, or infirmed? And that's, that's how I know how I'm doing. But I'll tell you that I will say this about runners, is that runners, it, 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 they are, runners are so committed to running. And if you, have, if you are a runner or you have a friend who's a runner, you know you have a friend who's a runner because that's all that runners talk about right? What are you doing? Going for a run. What are, what are you, then what are you doing after that? Well, I just got back from a run. What are you doing after that? I'm buying running shoes. I mean, it's just like all they talk about is running, but they don't care if it's, run, if they, if it's raining, they're running with a raincoat on. Uh, raincoat on. If they're injured, they're going to limp and hobble, but they're still going to run. Hurricane coming, they're going to run in place inside their house. It doesn't matter. But you know, here's the thing is that, and, and the thing that I love about the illustration of running and running in a race is that that is an illustration that's used more than once throughout the Bible to explain the Christian life. Because there's all kinds of things that are trying to keep us from running, all kinds of things that are trying to keep us from finishing our race, right? Sin tries to derail us. People can discourage us by criticizing how we're running. And then sometimes we can even defeat ourselves by giving up when things get difficult. But there really is a joy uh, of running that there's something that happens when you see how far you've come. Uh, I, I've only run one 10K in my life, and that was, uh, I did a Disney 10K a few years ago with some friends. Uh, it was a Star Wars 10K, and that's why I did it, because I thought, it was a Star Wars 10K, it's going to be awesome. You know, when you kind of boil it all down, a Star Wars 10K is like any other 10K, it's still six miles of running. And that's when I, I, I got into like two miles and I'm like, this is nothing. I thought I was going to blow up the Death Star. You know, like I'm just running. This is horrible. So, and the only thing that made it kind of Star Wars-y is that the mile markers were just pictures of Star Wars characters. So you're running and then you get to mile two and it's a picture of Jabba the Hutt. And it says mile two, which by the way, of all the people in the Star Wars universe to pick in a run, who picks Jabba the Hutt? And I don't know if I was like, maybe I just, I, I don't know. It's like you're feeling winded and you want to give up. Look at Java. See how he ran? You know, like what? Anyway, you, you too can run a crime syndicate. Um, and so anyway, so, but there is something, there is something awesome about getting to like, hey, this is mile six and knowing there's only point two to go to finish. And the thing that I, I, th- I just think such a powerful illustration, because although I ran with some friends, running is an individual activity. Other people can encourage us. Other people can run with us, but no one can run for us. And I believe that's why running is a great illustration of the Christian life, because we can run with people who encourage us, cheer us on, run at a pace that we can keep up with. But ultimately, we have to decide if we're going to be the ones who continue running or give up. This is what Paul is going to start talking to the people in Corinth about in our study. And so if you're not aware, we are in the 11th message of a series that we're calling A Beautiful Mess, which is a study of 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. 
to this group, this group of believers in the city of Corinth. Corinth is a city in southern Greece, and it's a church that he planted. It's a church that had a lot of problems. In fact, if you've been with us, I've been saying this every week so that we remember, there's a woman by the name of Chloe who sends Paul a letter and says, hey, the church that you planted in Corinth is totally out of control. And she was right. Because these people were a mess. There was infighting, there was division, there was people suing each other, there's people that are getting drunk during communion. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But he wrote them this letter that we've been studying together, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and he's encouraging us that, listen, he's telling them how to be united in a world that is so divided. And the way we do that is by what he calls having the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is when we think about things the way Jesus thinks about things. It's knowing what God wants us to do and speaking in a way that's consistent with the character and nature of God. Now, the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, which we covered uh, at length, were all about Paul dealing with the problems that were happening inside the church. Then in chapter 7, he says, now for the questions that you wrote to me about, because they had written Paul a letter saying, hey, we have a bunch of questions theologically and practically about how things work. And so in chapter seven, he talks about marriage and singleness, and we talked about that at length. And then in chapter eight, which we looked at last week, he talked about how to deal with difficulties and disagreements with other Christians without vilifying the other person. And so he talked about those who were mature in the faith, and that is those who were weak. And the weak ones were the people who were easily offended, felt guilty all the time. And so what he taught, what his encouragement to those who were strong was that we sometimes have to curb our freedom for the sake of others and the sake of those who are easily offended. To the weak, he says, listen, you got to stop being offended all the time because being offended all the time is a sign of spiritual immaturity. And what he's going to do now, since we started that conversation last week, he's really going to drill down and give us like a graduate level understanding of how these things impact our walk with God. And if we aren't careful, we'll derail us in the race that we're seeking to run. Because listen, it's not just running. God wants us to run away a race that's worth running and run a race that we can win. So we're going to start in chapter 9 and verse 1. Here's what we read. And Paul says this, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas, or Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Who goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does the law not say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt that it is written, he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope and should be partakers of the hope. For if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing that we reap material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. If you pause there and give me your attention, here are three things we're going to talk about, about running our race. But the first is this. 
and that I have to run for an audience of one. Let me explain what Paul is saying. This is a very hard passage uh, as he's speaking to them. There's two things that are important to note. One is he is continuing the conversation from chapter 8 about not stumbling other people. If you remember in chapter 8, he talked about those who ate things that were sacrificed to idols and they didn't think anything of it and they, as believers. And there were others who felt so guilty about it because if the meat had been sacrificed to an idol, then it was, it was defiled in some way. And so Paul says that the person who feels guilty about this is the weak believer, but the mature person shouldn't force their own way, but curb their freedom for another person's sake. Now, this is important to keep in mind as Paul is continuing this conversation, because what he's talking about here, and it might seem like an odd illustration, but it really works, and and it really makes sense, because he's saying two things at the same time. He's talking about not just his authority as an apostle, but he's also continuing this conversation because there were those in Corinth who had questioned, uh, was he really an apostle and and all of that. But what he's saying was is that all the other apostles traveled and they brought their wives along as they ministered and they were supported by all of the churches as they traveled and taught God's word to the people. But Paul and Barnabas, and Barnabas was Paul's right-hand guy, They worked making tents, which if you read the book of Acts chapter 18, you find that when Paul went to Corinth, he took a job making tents so that he wasn't a burden on anyone as he was planting the church in Corinth. And so Paul gives a few examples about how it would just make sense for him to just focus on the work of ministry, reaching people, discipling them, and not have to do work outside of the church. He talks about soldiers not going and paying their own expenses to go to war, right? No, that's not how it works. When you're a soldier and you go to war, your country pays your expense. He talks about farmers planting a vineyard and being able to eat of the fruit. That's one of the benefits that they have. He talks about a shepherd who tends sheep that is able to drink the milk of the flock. And then he backs all of that up with the biblical argument from Deuteronomy that says you don't muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, which means that if an ox is working the land, tilling the ground, you don't keep him from eating as he's doing that. That is the ox's payment, so to speak. And so all, as setting all of that up, he then gives the punchline and says, now I have used cultural examples. I have used Uh, examples from nature, and I've also used a biblical example, and he says, and even though I have a right based on all of that, I still don't do it, because once again, it's about not, he doesn't want to offend the weak person, and so that's why I want to read you the the last half of this, and this is in verse 13, so, but I stopped at verse 12, because even though we have this right, he says, I haven't used it, because I don't want to hinder the gospel. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat? Uh, of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of those things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid on me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. And if you pause there, and this is once again the same point. So Paul says he didn't take a salary when he was there at the church in Corinth. Why? Was it because he was against it? 
No. In fact, he just made a brilliant case for it. But here's the point. And by the way, if you read the other letters of Paul, he thanks, and once again, you read through the New Testament, what you'll find is that Paul always thanks these churches that he's writing to for the financial gifts that they gave him to continue supporting his missionary efforts and planting of churches. But he says he didn't take anything from the Corinthians because the Corinthians were the weak believers that he was talking about in chapter 8. And this is the point that he's making because these guys thought they were so mature because they had spiritual gifts, but they were incredibly immature, incredibly weak. And so just to, but I, so a while back, I had someone come up to me after a service. And uh, they said, you know, Pastor, I've got to talk to you about something I'm very concerned. I said, okay, what's up? And he says, you know, um, a lot of the books that we give out here at Calvary, um, you wrote. And I said, yeah. And they said, don't you think that's a conflict of interest? That your people are buying the books that you wrote? Don't you think that's a conflict? And I said, well, would you be happier if someone else wrote them? And, um, and he's like, no, I just think it's inappropriate for you to make money from the books that people buy here. And I said, well, first of all, no one is buying any of my books because we give all of them away. So that's first. Um, the second thing is the church buys all of those books at my author discount, which don't have any royalties. So when the church buys books and we give them out to people because that's what we do. We help people take their next step with God. That's our mission as a church. Always been a mission of our church. Um, I literally get nothing from those books. And, um, and by the way, I don't ever talk about this stuff. But I just, you know, every once in a while some knucklehead will, you know, like, I got you on this one. And, um, and, and I'll just say, no, so there's not, I don't, I don't, I don't get anything from, uh, from this. And and by the way, there's a reason why we rarely talk about this. So anyway, number one, if you've bought something, one of my books here, somebody ripped you off because we give them away for free. So there's one. But um, the second thing is, by the way, there's nothing wrong with buying a book. And um, my kids are going to go to college because of the books that I've written that I sell all over the place to other churches and all that. I just don't do it here. The exact same thing the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, hey, a whole bunch of uh, uh, other churches, he's done, he's, he has uh, received gifts from, and, uh, and th- that wasn't the problem, but he didn't do it at Corinth, and here's the reason why he didn't do it at Corinth, because they were the weak believers. And by the way, the reason, and the reason I never talk about this is because of a principle that Jesus gave. He said this in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, but when you do a charitable deed, do not y- let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now, the question is, so let's talk about this for a minute. Why do questions like this come up? It's because of weak believers. And I I don't know, um, this is the thing that I've noticed, is that people who contribute nothing, don't serve, don't give, they're always the most suspicious people. Do you know why that is? It's because what they're looking for is an excuse. Like, oh, you know, you're going to see. You're going to see. They're looking for an excuse not to be generous. You know the difference is generous people are also looking, but they're looking for opportunities to be generous. And that's why generous people are always the happiest people on earth. And I love 
what Paul, I love that Paul says, listen, I've never asked you for anything. And by the way, that's not because I think you're mature. Paul says, no, I never asked you for anything because I think that you're weak. All these other churches, they're, they're the ones who are, who are mature. And so generous people are looking for opportunities to serve. Now, let me tell you something. You may not be aware of this, but we actually moved into this building six years ago today. That's pretty awesome. Now, it's really amazing. And I will never forget walking up six years ago, Jose Lopez, who's here, um, and his wife, Lucy, Jose, they've been part of this church for, I don't know, 20 years almost? 19, 20. Okay. So let me tell you why I mentioned them. Not only because they're amazing people, amazing servants of God in this church, but when I, um, I parked my car here our first day, and I, I went to open the door, and as I, I went to open the door, he opened the door for me, and he said, welcome to Calvary. And I started to cry, because if, if you don't, uh, Jose, I'll never forget that as long as I live. And um, here's the thing that, that um, we, were, uh, we met like in high schools, and um, uh, we, we met in like the fellowship hall of an Episcopal church, and we met in, I mean, a hotel conference room that was about the size of one of our bathrooms and smelled about the same. And uh, anyway, so, um, and, then we, we, and then we met in the high school down the road here, and we had uh, this opportunity to buy this, this property. So many amazing things that, that were happening. This was going to be um, a, a school, and then they, the school backed out, and then a church bought it, and then the church never really took off. And then they were just going to kind of hold on to the land for a while and just sell it to a developer. And then we came to them and talked to them and said, listen, you guys bought this property because you wanted to see gospel ministry happen. Why not continue that legacy and let us fulfill that? And, uh, and they turned and, and sold it to us, and it was amazing. And then a couple years later, we bought this property, and more on that in the future, in, in, uh, pretty soon because the city just sent back our plans. We're working. We're going to give an update soon. So... Um, so here's what happens, is that um, we do our groundbreaking. So, so let me ask you, how many of you started attending Calvary here? This is all you know is here. Can I ask that? Look around. This is well over probably 70%. Okay, that's important to know. Here's why. is because uh, we did a groundbreaking ceremony here right, before, right when we were starting construction on, our, uh, on, on this building. And it was an amazing, in fact, let me show you a picture of the groundbreaking. This was um, about seven years ago. My kid, that's Livy, uh, who is nine now. She is about two and a half. And then uh, I don't know why I wasn't looking up. And uh, it's, like, I, it's like, dude, you're not actually, this is more ceremonial. Anyway, and then uh, Xander and, uh, and, and Mia. And so now there was a couple that had started attending Calvary at the high school. And they came to our groundbreaking, and they took me aside after all the festivities and pictures and all that. And they, they told me, and they said, we used to come onto this property and dream about starting a ministry. And, uh, and they said, you know, my wife and I, our plan was to retire from our jobs and then start a church here in Miramar. And so we would come onto this property just because it was an open area, and we would just pray for God to raise up um, a ministry. And he said, and we thought we were praying for us. 
And what we didn't realize is that we were praying for you. And so they said, so we've been saving for a few years to, to start a church. And so, but we realized that the thing we've been praying for is being fulfilled in you. And they handed me an envelope with a check for $25,000 that they had been waiting to start a church. And, and you know what the amazing part of the story is? And that's why I asked how many of you came to Calvary, and this is all, this is all you've known is Calvary here, is because they, they, weren't, they didn't retire from their jobs. They, they just felt like we, they saw what, what was happening here, and they're like, God's released us from this, and they ended up moving. They never saw this building completed. Um, and we have benefited from their generosity. And the thing that, that Paul is telling us is that mature believers see giving as an opportunity to engage in ministry. And, they re- and, and, and mature people, here's what we realize. Mature people realize that some of us are called to go and others of us are called to support those who go. And, um, but listen, and, and, and this is, but others will always have an excuse. And Paul says, hey, I get it. But just understand that if you've always got an excuse, you're the weak believer. Jesus still loves you. You're just immature. And, and, and if you're saying like, well, you're probably just saying that because the budget is tight. Let me tell you something. If I were going to say something because the budget was tight, I would have said something a year ago when we had to shut everything down and about 30% of our budget disappeared overnight. And now you might say, well, some people lost their jobs. Yeah, maybe. Um, but we didn't lay anybody off here at Calvary. We kept everybody on because we were busier than ever. When we were trying to figure out, everybody's trying to figure out what happened in the world. Listen, the church got busier than we ever had. And so, but listen, the reality is giving shouldn't have gone down. But what happened is, here's what, here's what weak believers were thinking. Oh, well, if I don't have to come and see the show, I shouldn't have to support it. And so, once again, and so giving went down. When we reopened, giving started climbing. It's not what it once was, but it, it, it started climbing back up. And why is that? Listen, there, were, there are some amazing people in this church that were like, they were just faithful throughout, and we thank God for them because they're the ones, when we were trying to figure out how to get online and buying all this equipment, uh, and, and you know, I, don't, I know some people think that churches are supported, but there's some like endowment from the Queen of England that is, and it's like, by the way, there is no endowment from the Queen of England. And, but listen, but here, here, is, here, here, here is the issue, is that, um, you know, it's not that, and once again, we didn't say anything. Ministry went on, and, and we just didn't say anything. We we're like, hey, we're just going to do whatever God provides. We're going we're gonna to do that. But the, thing, the problem is, is that mature believers, they see generosity. like gen, Mature believers are looking for opportunities to be genesis, generous because it's in our DNA. And by the way, this is not a message on giving. When I teach a message on giving, trust me, you will know. Um, this is a message about maturity. And by the way, if you're offended by this, you're probably a weak believer. And, and if you're thinking, it is about time Pastor Bob did some straight talk on this topic, you're probably among the mature. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you, when I started this church, my wife and I, back in 2000, I was 26 years old and I had a full head of hair. And today, uh, I'm 47 and I have walked with God for more than half my life. And I'm telling you, I'm talking to you the way I would talk to my children because I'm training my children to be generous people 
who invite God to be part of their financial world. And you know what happens is, is that when you invite God to be part of that, listen, amazing things happen. And I'm not just saying like, you know, God's going to make you rich. That's not, I'm not talking about that nonsense. What I'm saying is this, is that you're going to experience life in a much better way. Listen, there's an amazing proverb that says that the world of the stingy gets smaller, but the world of the generous grows larger. And listen, it takes maturity and it takes a kingdom-minded heart to do so. All right, here's what Paul says next. Verse 19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, but not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partakers of it with you. All right, next thing I want to tell you about running is that I need to run with evangelistic purpose. Now, this is a famous passage if you've been around church for a while, and rightly so, because Paul is saying that he was willing to change his approach based on the people that he was talking to. Why? Because love compelled him to speak the language of the people that he was trying to reach. I mean, we all understand this. If you're trying to communicate with someone, you have to communicate in a way that they understand because you could have the greatest message in the world, but if you aren't speaking in a language they understand, the message is useless. And I learned this early. When I was an intern, uh, an intern pastor, one of the things that they, they did, so I had graduated my theology degree, but they were like, well, yeah, we know you graduated, but you still don't know anything. And so they, in, in the church that we were at, they made us serve in every different ministry every weekend. And this went on for months. And so we would do, I mean, it was, every weekend was something different, and it was so helpful. But one weekend, they put us in children's ministry, and I got assigned to, uh, with another one of the interns, who's a guy named Mitch, who's a great guy, and uh, I'm still friends with him to this day. And Mitch and I got put in a classroom with 20 first graders. So being the teacher I am, I said, Mitch, I'll handle the teaching. You help the kids color. And so he's like, okay. And so I started the lesson, and I was teaching out of the book of Acts. And that, that was the lesson. And so I gathered all the kids around. And I'm like, okay, kids, how many of you know where ancient Asia Minor is? <laughs> and then I'll, I'm like, okay, all right, I'm sorry. I know. I'm t- modern day Turkey. Who knows where modern day Turkey is? And they were like, are we eating Turkey? And like, no, no, no. <laughs> Stay focused. Uh, we're talking about the country of Turkey, which is really Asia Minor. Needless to say, within 30 seconds, ev- all of these kids just got up and walked away. Like, and I'm standing there, and, and they, they just mutinied. And Mitch says, um, Bob, can I handle this? Uh, and I said, okay. And he goes, all right, you pick up the crayons. And I, I was like, I deserve that. And, uh, and so he gets all the kids together. And he's like, all right, I need someone to be the Apostle Paul. He grabs one of the kids, and he says, this is weird, but I need someone 
to be a dead guy. And they're like, I'll be the dead guy. And I'm like, oh, great. So this guy lays down. Anyway, it is incredible. And then he's like, Mitch is like, you tell, say this. And it was, it was unbelievable. I was mesmerized. And, uh, and I'm an adult. And listen, and here's the point, is that it just, it doesn't matter. Just because you're the teacher doesn't mean your, t- your gift works in every environment. You've got to speak in a way that the audience understands. And listen, and love is what causes us to alter our approach. And listen, if we really love people, we will learn to communicate in a way that they understand. So that's why he, di- he mentions different people in this passage, that when he says that when to the Jews, I became a Jew. That is, I started talking in a way that they would understand. To those who are without law, that is not just, these aren't like outlaws, but these people who are without the law, that is people who are Gentiles. They're not following the law of Moses. To people who were weak, that is to weak believers, he wasn't going to flout his freedom, his freedom, flaunt his freedoms. Instead, he was going to communicate with them in a way that they understand. But, you know, and we have to understand this. So when you're talking to your family member that isn't a Christian, and maybe they start, uh, and you guys, the, the conversation turns to a more spiritual topic, and they say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, what's your answer? Well, this is where you need to learn to speak their language. And this, so here's what I would encourage you to do because you'll have, oh, I don't believe the Bible. Like, okay. Why not? Well, because the Bible is written by men. Should I believe that statement because it was spoken by a man? Well, no, I'm just, okay. So does that mean I shouldn't believe anything that was written by man? Like that stop sign, speed limits, um, you know, or, or and, the, and the, well, you know, it's just that the Bible's been changed over the years. Okay, which parts can you show me? Now, this works even better if you have a Bible, because I just, I'm telling you, if you have a Bible and you can point, non-Christians are terrified of the Bible, uh, just, just FYI, because I don't know if they feel like if it touches it, it's going to start to sizzle. I don't know what they think is going to happen, but sometimes one of my professors in college, uh, he, was, he was kind of a nut, bl- brilliant guy, just a little Looney Tunes. Um, and, and so he would do all this stuff where the guy carried his Bible everywhere. And so he was um, picking up food one day. And so he puts the Bible down as he goes to pick up his dinner, you know, and, uh, at the restaurant. And, uh, and the guy, there's a guy sitting there at the bar and, he go, and the guy says, what is that? My professor says, it's a Bible. And he says, for real? He says, yeah. Huh. And then my professor says, you know, um, and he walks a little closer towards him. He goes, you know, the, you know, the Bible says that it's, it's alive and active. Ah! And uh, the guy screams. And he's like, you're crazy. Tell me something I don't know. And uh, anyway, a good time was had by all. And uh, now, who are these maniacs teaching in Bible colleges? That's one of them. Uh, But once again, now, here's my, here's my, I'm sorry if I scared you. (laughs) There's somebody at home toasting a bagel that just the bagel went flying. Um, And so now, Here's, here's the point. Let me tell you what we do as Christians. This is such a big mistake that we make, is that whenever somebody says, well, I don't believe the Bible, and then we're like, well, let me tell you why. You should believe the Bible. Let me give you the scientific argument, the cosmological argument, the teleological argument. It's like, well, slow down. Someone just told you they don't believe the Bible. 
Ask them why. That's their claim. Make them support their claim. And I'm telling you, it's going to make it a lot easier. Your life is going to get a lot easier if instead of, because that, that's why a lot of times as Christians, we shy away from having converse, spiritual conversations. We think someone's going to ask me a question I don't know the answer to. And, and listen, the reality is, is that the majority of the people that you talk to don't know the answers to the answers that they're giving. Well, I don't believe the Bible. Why? Well, it was written by men. Okay. Do you, is that how, I'm telling you, just follow this. And it is amazing. But Christians, typically, we just start spouting everything off that we know. And it's like, no, 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 slow down. Save that. You're going to need that. But it's like, hey, why don't you, um, you don't believe it, why? And then it's just all the same, like, dumb stuff. You know, oh, you know, I just got to, I read that on a meme on Facebook, you know? And it's like, and then what can happen is, is that after they have not defended their claims, uh, because they, they're, and once again, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying this to, to like make fun of someone. What I am saying is, is that what it, re, the, the point of doing this is that it simply reveals to people that what they have thought is not very well thought out. And what that will do is create a much better conversation for you. And they'll say, well, I don't, well, then why do you believe? I'm glad you asked. And now it puts you in a very different position in the conversation. You can say, hey, you know what? I thought a lot of those same things until I started investigating the evidence. Let me share with you a couple of things. And boom, boom, boom. It t- now you're in a totally different place. You've respected their view. You've asked them to clarify. And now you've created an opening for the gospel. Becoming all things to all people is what mature people do because they know that the most important objective is seeing people come to know Jesus. All right, verse 24. This is what we're going to draw to a close. He says this. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing, and that is this, that I need to run to win the race. I need to run to win the race. I love this passage because he, he talks about walking with God like a marathon. I love what one author called walking with God. He called it a long obedience in the same direction. And there's three qualities that Paul says we have to have if we're going to win the, win the race according to these three verses. And by the way, when he talks about winning the race, he's not talking about competing with other believers. He's talking about running our race. You're beating your old time. What was your previous best time? I'm going to beat that time and do better and run faster and harder and more, and more committed. It's running the course that God has outlined for us. But there's these three qualities that every believer needs when, if they're going to win their race. Here's the first one, is that runners who win are prepared. One of the things that I've learned about running is that the way you run on race day is all about how you prepared before race day. And I remember early on, I didn't think that stretching mattered. I'd see all these people stretching and they had like these, like, I don't know, these like PVC pipes and they were like rubbing their, their uh, quads and their, their hamstrings with these PVC pipes. And I'm like, what? Just run, dude. And then I'd get like a quarter of a mile and pull something and, you know, it's so, so dumb. And, and, and listen, 
because for some reason we think we know better. Walking with God, running your race, involves stretching your mind, stretching your faith, stretching what you believe God can do. You see, but we don't see any of it if we don't start running and keep running. It means we can't give up. We have to keep going. You know, marathon runners, they have this thing, and I've never run a marathon, and I never plan to. Um, If I do, something has gone horribly wrong in my life. And, uh, but every marathon runner I know talks about this thing called the wall. And uh, if you have, you, you'll, you know what I'm talking about. The, right around mile 21 in a marathon, there's the wall. You hit the wall, you've got no energy, you're in a ton of pain, and you want to give up. And, and, I, and I've asked every, every marathon runner I talk to, I'll ask them, like, what did you do when you get to the wall? And they say, well, here's what you do. You just keep running. You just keep running because eventually the pain starts to subside and you realize I'm one step closer with every step that I take. And that's how we need to walk with God because there are moments that you hit the wall and you say, man, what am I doing this for? Man, I've been praying, I've been faithful, I've been, I've been, I've been reading, I've been learning, I've been trying to grow and, 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 and you just wanna stop. Listen to me, you have never been closer than you are now and you're gonna be even closer tomorrow than you were today. And there is a reward coming if we don't lose heart. And that's the second thing that Paul's going to tell us when he says that runners who win are rewarded. They're rewarded. He says that in those who run in these games are, get a perishable crown. The Greek word is the Greek word Stephanus. And the, the Stephanus crown was a wreath that was put on the, the head of the victor's crown. And the, by the way, the largest games outside of the Olympics in Greece were held in Corinth. So these people were like huge sports fans. And what he's saying is, is that we're, those who are running, they're training so hard for a perishable crown, the wreath would eventually wither. But he says, us for an imperishable crown, the uh, Greek word there is diadem. And this crown is one that lasts for eternity because all that we do in service to the Lord has an eternal impact an eternal reward attached to it. And that's why everything we do matters. Third thing, and then we're done. And that is that runners who win are disciplined. They're disciplined. Listen, you can't run with uncertainty or literally a lack of clarity. That is, you're not even sure where you're running and expect to win. We've got to be very clear on where we are and where the finish, the finish line is. And that's why Paul says that he disciplines his body and puts it under subjection. Another translation says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. That is, I'm not going to allow bodily appetites to dictate what I do. So if you say, man, but pastor, I'm tired. That's okay. You just keep running. Yeah, but I got invited to do this other thing. Yeah, I hear you. But we're just going to keep running. Man, I don't feel like I'm progressing. Yeah, it's okay. You keep running. There is a word for someone who refuses to give up. And that word is unstoppable. And if, listen, if you are a Christian, I know you want to get there. You want to get there with your family. You want to get there in your marriage. You want to get there in your career. You want to get there in your walk with God. And listen, what you're going to find is that there are things in your life that you can do There are things in your life that only God can do. And the longer you live, you find that the stuff that only God can do is a lot more than the stuff that we can do. But here's the thing. There is something that only you can do. 
Only you can make a decision to keep running and not give up. And you say, but I hit the wall. I get it. And I'm sorry. And I know, and I've been there. And here's what I'm telling you. Just keep running. And the good news is this, is that you say, I hit the wall. You read the Bible. You know what you're going to find? Walls aren't that big of a deal for God. He deals with them pretty handedly. Our responsibility, the part that no one else can do for us, is that you say, I'm going to run and I'm going to keep running. I'm going to run when I feel good and I'm going to run when I don't feel like running and I'm going to run when I feel like I'm the only one who's running and I'm going to run when I don't have the energy to run anymore. And when you do, my friend, you will become unstoppable and you will see God do things in your life that you never dreamed possible. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that reality, for that promise that we can run and that you're going to run with us. That if we fall, you're going to pick us up and you're going to encourage us to keep on running. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Help us. Help us to run a race that matters, a race that makes a difference. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.